Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. We are launching into this new series called Breaking Bad. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to tackle some areas that are a little difficult to talk about, some things in our lives that can be destructive and things along those lines. And today, we are talking about laziness. And I need to let you know, I've been researching laziness my entire life, okay? So I'm really excited about this. And not really, a little bit of the opposite. And this message was kind of tough to prep, figuring out exactly how I wanted to communicate this or not communicate this. And it's a little difficult when the most exciting part of your message prep is looking at a picture of a sloth, all right? And for those of you who don't know, yeah, the sloth is kind of the poster animal for laziness. And as I studied the sloth and the terminology behind it, it turns out sloths stay up in trees. They live in trees. They basically stay there all week. A sloth will come down to relieve itself like once a week. That's it. And your typical sloth moves so slow that in an hour, it'll only move a few feet. So if you put a sloth in a 100-yard dash, it'll finish like in December, okay? And I read research that said they're actually trying to figure out how to speed these animals up. And so they injected them with anabolic steroids. And you know what they found? They found that they were four times more likely to be baseball players, okay? <clears throat> Amazing. But anyhow, I know, that was bad. <clears throat> Tell me if this sounds lazy, okay? You ready? Sloths are sluggish and inactive. They sleep 15 to 20 hours a day, rising late in the afternoon to eat leaves that are within its reach. They move so slowly that algae forms in their hair, okay? They are so passive that they are virtually untrainable. Also, you occasionally find one working at the DMV in a supervisory role, okay? But unfortunately, what has happened, though, Hear me on this. This image of a sloth, I think, has given us an inaccurate picture of laziness. Because people, they they look at this picture of the sloth, right? They think about a sloth and they're going, well, that's not me. I think that's an inaccurate stereotype of laziness. In the same way that you might think of an alcoholic. You see, not all alcoholics live on skid row. And not all lazy people spend their entire day just lying on the couch, you know, sipping liquids from one of those beer can hats, watching Desperate Housewives of Williamson County, you know. I just want to blow up that whole stereotype of a sloth as being the picture of laziness. Because I also know right now, some of you, you got a little bit of pride welling up inside of you because you're thinking, you know what? Laziness is not my gig, man. I am productive. I'm driven. I'm busy. Got lots going on, right? I manage my time. You are not getting me on this one, Brian. And my response is pipe down, Stephen Covey, Okay. Just because you're productive does not mean you're not lazy. Just because you're busy does not mean you're not lazy. Just because you're organized and your spice racks are alphabetized and your pencils are all sharpened on a perfectly clean desk, your garage looks like a showroom, that does not mean you're not lazy. And people will say things like, you know, I'm, I'm a clean freak. I'm not lazy. Okay, sometimes clean freaks are just freaks. They're obsessive compulsive. They're hyper-organized. They were bottle-fed and potty-trained way too young. And they're so busy organizing things all the time because they're really avoiding the deeper emotional, relational, or spiritual work that might need to be done in life. 
Now, here's what I know about myself, okay? On the outside, I'm productive, I'm driven, I'm OCD at times. But when I look inside the life of Brian Threlkeld, especially with the definition I'm going to give you today, I can have a tendency toward laziness. And my guess is you can too. Maybe not slothfully lazy, but selectively lazy. And so I want to shatter this whole image of a sloth as the picture of laziness. I want to give you a new definition this morning. You ready for this? It's when comfort wins over effort and I fail to do the right thing. When comfort wins over effort and I fail to do the right thing, that is lazy. Now, with that definition, I can be lazy in significant relationships. I can be lazy when it comes to areas of my heart. I can be lazy with my time, my treasure, my talents. I can be lazy when there's some difficult task to do, anything that might disrupt my comfort. I mean, think about this in your own life. Are you like me? And when maybe there's some tough task that has to be done, all of a sudden you think of all these other things you need to do. Right? I don't want to do this over here, so I, I got to clean my office. I got to answer these emails. I got to change the water in the fish tank. You know, I've got to write this romance novel, trim my nose hairs, anything, just so I don't have to do that over there. So I know that you might not be slothfully lazy, but you're definitely selectively lazy. And so what I did is I kind of came up with some statements that I want to read to you. And when I say these statements, if at any point in time you have thought or said this, I just want you to groan with me. Can you do that? <clears throat> Don't have to raise your hand, just a little groan. That'll be fine. I don't have enough time to finish this right now, so there's no point of even getting started. Hmm, okay, we got some groaners here. <laughs> it's too nice of a day to spend time on this. Hmm. I'm too tired to go to church. Let's catch it online. Okay, you got it, yeah. Right. I call that the bed campus, right? The Church of the Inner Springs. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. How about this one? I'll hit the snooze button now to read my Bible later in the day. Mm, okay. Or as guys say, I'll sleep in and just wear cologne instead of showering, right? If I wait long enough, someone else will most likely do it. <clears throat> and finally, mow the lawn. That's why we have children. Mm, yeah, okay. All right, if you grow more than twice, now raise your hand. Raise it up high. All right, look around. See, you're not alone. We got some double and triple groaners in here. And I want to make sure that you don't get me wrong when it comes to this definition, when comfort wins over effort and I fail to do the right thing. There are times when comfort may actually be the right thing. I mean, rest, leisure, Sabbath, that's God's design for the universe. It's God's design for you. I'm not saying that people need to work more. As a matter of fact, some people need to work less so they have the capacity to do the right thing. That's the key, doing the right thing. And you may be sitting here and you're saying, well, what's the big deal about comfort? I mean, how is comfort destructive in one's life? Let me give you a few examples. First of all, I would say that laziness can keep us from living the fulfilled life that God intends for us. Laziness messes with our relationship with God. See, God has bigger plans for your life than just comfort. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is when Jesus says this, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. It doesn't say anything about him coming so that we might have comfort. So first, I would say laziness messes with your relationship with God vertically, but laziness also messes with your horizontal relationships with other people. Laziness messes with our relationship with one another. I mean, it wounds marriages. I've seen it. It destroys families. It hurts friendships. You need some examples of this. One spouse comes home from work. The other spouse has been home all day taking care of sick kids. 
And the spouse that's been at home all day taking care of sick kids just wants some adult conversation, some adult communication. But the one who's been working all day comes home and they kind of take the easy route, the comfort route, say, hi, I just need to relax. And they just shut off communication. Okay, and shutting down communication, bitterness arises. Or, or you're laying on the couch and Junior comes in and says, hey, Dad, how about, how about we go outside and play a little bit? And you're like, yeah, 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 just, just give me a couple minutes. And Junior walks out of the room muttering, ah, it's always a few minutes, right? Always a couple minutes. Or, or you're here and you're super mom, okay? You're always busy, always on the go. Where does laziness show up in your life? Well, you're so busy moving, 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 you never slow down enough to deal with the brokenness in your life that is driving you to be so super. Or you're working hard to build a career. Okay, there's nothing wrong with working hard, except your story is a little different. There are several failed relationships in the wake of your busy life. See, no one is immune. Laziness is everywhere. In the old best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled, Scott Peck wrote this about laziness. He said, no matter how energetic ambitious or wise we may be. If we truly look into ourselves, we will find laziness lurking at some level. It's lurking in your life. I'd even suggest that it's damaging part of your life. So let's talk about what God has to say about laziness. If you look at your bulletin, I gave you a whole bunch of passages at the end of your outline there. You can look these up on your own. Many are in Proverbs. And depending on the translation that you read, it'll actually use the word sluggard instead of sloth or lazy. I mean, how is that for a word for laziness, right? Sluggard it just sounds lazy. Nobody wants to be called a sluggard. It's like a cross between a slug and a lizard is my guess. But, <laughs> but the primary text I want us to look at today, it's Proverbs 24. You ready for this? It goes like this. I walked by the field of a lazy person. The vineyard of one lacking sense. Circle lacking sense. <clears throat> I saw that it was overgrown with thorns. It was covered with weeds. Its walls were broken down. And then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. You might circle poverty. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Circle scarcity. Now, as we unpack this, I want to look closely at some of these terms I had you circle. What we have here is the owner of a vineyard. And I'm sure this guy had good intentions, right? He bought the field. He had it planted. He wanted a vineyard that was free of weeds, free of thorns. But apparently, he also wanted a nap, right? He wanted to sleep more than he wanted a well-groomed, productive estate. Like you and me often do, this owner chose comfort over effort. And that's a clear sign of laziness. Another sign of laziness is poverty. I had you circle that word. Now hear me on this. Just being poor, it doesn't say that being poor means that you're lazy. But it does say that laziness can result in poverty. And when you think about poverty, I mean, that can have different faces, right? Our minds immediately go to financial poverty, but it could be relational poverty. It could be emotional poverty. It could be spiritual poverty. The point is there's going to be some kind of fallout, some kind of consequence of laziness. Right, another term I had you circle is scarcity. Let me give you a definition of scarcity. It is the lack of abundance. It's the opposite of abundance. Remember Jesus said, I came that you might have an abundant life. Well, this text says that laziness attacks abundance like an armed robber. 
And then finally, the key phrase, the one that really popped out at me in this entire passage is this, lacking sense. Lacking sense. You know, it's interesting to me that lacking sense is so closely related to laziness. I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one lacking sense. Okay, nobody wants to be described as a person who lacks sense. Now, there's a difference, though, between lacking sense and living in a world where things don't make sense. Okay, we live in a world where a whole lot of things don't make sense. You know, why the International House of Pancakes is only located in the U.S., but it's called International, that doesn't make sense to me, okay? You know, if Gatorade works 30% faster than water, why don't we put out fires with Gatorade? Makes no sense, right? Okay, all sorts of stuff in our world that doesn't make sense. That's, that's in a whole different category. I'm talking about lacking sense, okay? Lacking sense is connected with laziness. And nobody wants to be characterized that way as, as someone that's just living for comfort, lacking sense. So what do you do about that? If you don't want that in your life, how do you tackle it? How do you battle it? Hey, don't just shrug it off and say, you know what, I must just be lazy. Okay, it's affecting your relationship with God. It's messing with your relationship with God. Or it's messing with your relationship with other people or both. And you might have to go a little deep to figure this out. So let me give you two important things to remember when it comes to battling laziness. These have to do with your perspective, okay? First one is this. I must care about God's bigger picture to gain perspective. Okay, God's bigger picture is that you and I, we are managers of the time, the treasure, and the talents that he's given us. That's the big picture. We are stewards of those things. He expects us to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. And I want to show you a clear example of this. Jesus, he tells a story in Matthew 25. Now I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version here. He says, there are three servants and one master. And the master decides one day that he's going to go away on this long journey. And so he calls the three servants together. He says to the three, you know what? I'm going to give each of you some of my money to take care of, to invest while I'm gone. He gives one servant five bags of gold, another servant two bags of gold, and yet another servant one bag of gold. The Bible says each in proportion to his own ability. Then the master, he goes away on this long journey. He says, invest it while I'm gone. Long story short, he comes back. And the guy with the five bags of gold comes to him and says, Master, you gave me five, right? I doubled it. Here's 10. And the master's full of praise. Says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Okay, the second servant, he comes in and says, I've doubled it. You gave me two, here's four. And again, master's very pleased. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The third guy, he has one bag. And he essentially says, you know what? I was afraid I might mess this up. I might lose it. I'm kind of afraid of you. And so I dug a hole and just buried it in the earth. Here it is. And he gives him the one bag back. Now notice the master's response. And remember who's telling this story? This is Jesus telling this story. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. That's a pretty strong language there. Why did he say that? Verse 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they'll have an abundance. There's that word. <clears throat> but from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. All right, what's the big picture takeaway? God has made you, God has made me a manager of the time, 
treasure, and talents that we've been given. And he expects us to be faithful with what we do with those things. Okay? He expects us to invest those things, to be faithful and not bury the time, the treasure, the talents he's given us, but to make the most of those things. And that should motivate us to do the right thing because he will reward those who are faithful. Okay, the second key to battling laziness is this perspective. I must care about the gift of today. If I really believe that God wants me to be a good manager of his time, treasure, and talents, then I've got to look at today and view it as a gift. But you know what I see so many people doing? I hear it in conversations all the time. They're busy regretting things that have happened in the past, and they're busy worrying about things that might happen in the future. Right? So many people live their lives that way. They live in the past. They live in the future, but not in today. So Jesus, he kind of calls a timeout and says this in Matthew 6. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. What's the perspective? I've got to learn to use today as a gift. I've got to see today as a gift. You know, your life is basically made up of tens of thousands of little gifts called today, 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 right? And if you view those things as a gift, then you should wake up in the morning and say, man, God, you've got some kind of gift for me today. What is it? And all of a sudden, you're not going to treat today as an obligation, but as a passion. It'll change your whole perspective. I mean, I meet so many people who just treat today like, oh, man, all I got to do is just get through today. Right, TGIF, just get me to the weekend. They don't view today as a gift. My goal is to look at today this way, that when I hit the pillow at the end of this day, I want to have as few regrets as possible and a deep, deep sense of satisfaction. That's what I want every day. And you might say, well, why few regrets? Because <laughs> that's reality, isn't it? As few regrets as possible. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things that you regret. Right? I'm going to do things that I regret. But if at the end of the day, we can kind of shoot for as few things as possible that will make us feel guilty, that's a win. Right? A few regrets as possible. So view today as a gift. Make the most of every moment. And then make decisions that will lead to as few regrets as possible. Now, let's get real practical when it comes to being lazy. All right, What do we do to battle this? How do we deal with it? I put together a little checklist for you. It's on your outline. First of all, stop being surprised when discipline and work are uncomfortable. Stop being surprised by that. And just me saying the word discipline, I know it sends chills into some people. They feel like they don't have discipline. Let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if you have a bad habit or you ever have. Would you put your hand up high? Okay. You have discipline, okay? We are capable of discipline. Any bad habit is a discipline. The real question is, comes down to, what am I going to be disciplined in? And people say, well, you know, it's hard for me to change. It really takes me a lot of work. It's not easy for me. And in my pastoral sensitivity, I say, duh, right? That's why it's called discipline. People say, Brian, I just don't have any discipline. I still can't read my Bible daily. I still can't pray daily. I, I still can't do things on a daily basis. I just can't. It's just not me. I'm just not disciplined. But you know what? These people, I know these people, these people have disciplines. Every day on the way to work, they stop at Starbucks. Every day, okay? That takes discipline. And about 300 bucks a month, I would guess, right? Just me saying that. I can see some of you are like this, right? Don't mess with Starbucks, right? Some of you have accepted Starbucks as your personal Lord and Savior, right? You're convinced there's a Starbucks in heaven waiting for you. It's a sacred cow, right? 
$5 of Carmely goodness that helps me be kind before noon, right? Don't miss the point. It's about discipline. And let me just say this. Stop being surprised when discipline and work are uncomfortable. That's the first point. Second, I've got to seek to really understand that big picture, that gift of the day. I'm coming back to this. If you don't keep that perspective in your mind every single day, you're going to miss it. Really, this comes down to believing and embracing an eternal perspective, that your life is about way more than the few years you spend here on this earth, and that the most important resource you have is your time. Okay, we have to understand this. We've got to review this. We've got to believe those two principles, or we will battle laziness for the rest of our lives. promise you. If you don't get that eternal perspective, you'll make it all about today. All right, the next action is to set a realistic plan to develop some life-enhancing habits. Okay, if you don't like that word discipline, you can go with the kinder, softer, gentler word habits, okay? Develop some life-enhancing habits. And then also, you notice here, you've got to make it realistic. It's got to be enough to push you but not defeat you. You know, a lot of times I know people will get all psyched up and they're like, okay, okay, I've got this plan. You know, starting tomorrow, I'm going to read the entire Bible daily, okay? That's not realistic. What is realistic? How about a minute a day, maybe a chapter a day? If you battle laziness with exercise, you know, be realistic. Maybe three times a week, 20 to 30 minutes a pop. You watch too much TV. Don't try cold turkey, right? Be realistic. Say, I'm going to limit myself to X number of hours a week of TV watching. I'm telling you, be realistic or it won't work. Be realistic or it won't work. And then you'll just set yourself up for failure after failure after failure. All right, and then what do you have to do? Next, you've got to share the plan with a trusted and encouraging friend. Okay, once you get the plan, guess what? You've got to go public with it. Now, I'm not suggesting that you email blast your entire company, all right? But here's the deal. Everybody knows this. When it comes to the tough areas of your life, you have to have accountability. You've got to have accountability. With God's help, yeah, you can be disciplined in some areas of your life, but when it comes to the lazy areas, you absolutely need other people to chime in. You need other people to be there for you. I promise you this. True story about a guy, he was going on a diet, and so he made this deal with his friend. He said, whenever I mess up, I am paying you 10 bucks. Okay? Now, he was on a no-sugar diet, which meant if he started to reach for a donut, he had to ask himself, is this donut worth $10? He said usually it was. He ended up in a whole bunch of debt, okay? <laughs> Don't recommend that plan, unless you're going to pay me the 10 bucks, in which case, try it. Now, actually, what, you know what he said was? He said, I rarely failed. Why? Because he said, I didn't want to keep making excuses in front of that friend of mine. See, when you get it out in the open, it's way easier than playing those games in your mind. We are so good at lying to ourselves. Let's just be honest. We can deceive ourselves so well. you got to have that trusted friend. you got to have encouragement. you got to have accountability of some sort. And then finally, i got one more for you. You've got to start somewhere. Start with one small sacrifice in one area of laziness that you battle. Okay, circle start somewhere. Everybody knows that that is the most difficult part of any work you're going to do, starting You've heard the little phrase, a journey of a thousand miles begins with some very heavy luggage. <laughs> no, wait. A journey of a thousand miles begins with what? One small step, the first step. The first step. That's always the toughest. <laughs> so just choose one small area you struggle with. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your spiritual life. Man, I struggle with prayer. 
I struggle with reading the Bible. I struggle with serving. I struggle with giving. I struggle with sharing my faith. I mean, your spiritual journey, that's the most important part of your life. Don't allow laziness to attack you in that area like an armed robber. And maybe, maybe God's put it on your heart, put it on your mind, the name of somebody that you're supposed to be reaching out to, somebody that's unchurched. You're supposed to invite them to church, and you start thinking about that. Fear kicks in. Maybe laziness kicks in. You're like, oh, man, that could be awkward. How do I have this conversation? It could be uncomfortable. You start thinking of all the other things that you got to do instead. See, comfort kicks in, and you fail to do the right thing. Let me tell you, if God puts somebody's name on your heart, don't battle God's spirit. Don't fight or quench God's spirit. Just do it. You got a phone. Pick it up. Call and invite that person. Remember, laziness is when comfort wins over effort, and I fail to do the right thing. James 4. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. You know, James always shoots straight. <laughs> Remember, it's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now, as we close here, I just want to be brutally honest with you, okay? The reason we are lazy in areas of our lives is because it's tough work. It's really tough work. And so what are the chances that we will put in the work that's required to make a change in our lives? Again, I think if we're really honest, we'd say they're pretty slim. Why? Because one, we've got a sin nature, and two, laziness is very attractive. It really is. Very appealing. You know, a lot of times in the church, we'll see a whole bunch of people that will make a commitment or they'll sign up for a study or whatever, and only a small percentage actually follow through with that commitment. That's just reality. Now, do I say that to make anybody feel guilty? No, that's not my job. All right, my job is just to teach you the Bible. The Holy Spirit's job is to make you feel guilty, okay? <laughs> we just kind of work in tandem on that one, right? Now, the reason I say this, please hear me, the reason I say this, it's not guilt. I mean, that doesn't work. It's not my style either. I say this because I want to be honest with you and just let you know up front here, this is tough. Think about it. Everything in the culture actually works against us being a good steward of our time, of our treasure, of our talents. But I'm here to tell you that God believes in you and he's rooting you on. I mean, he wants to come alongside of you and help you change that area, help you to get a deeper relationship with him, a better relationship with other people. And I'm rooting on you too. I believe in you. I believe you can change. I really do. I believe that you can be a more loving spouse. Or you can be a better friend. You can be a stronger parent. At the office, at home, at school, you can do the right thing. You can learn how to love others. You can uh, wash your pastor's car. I don't know, all sorts of things you might be able to do, right? You'd be amazed. You can wake up in the morning and say, man, what a gift today is. What a gift. Man, I want to live today with as few regrets as possible, and I want to end the day with a deep, deep sense of satisfaction. So God, what do you got for me today? How can I be the best manager of the time today I've got, the treasures I've got, the talents I've got? What divine appointment might you have for me? That'll change everything. You get that perspective, I promise you, it'll change everything. Let's pray. Jesus, you know that as I've thought through this message, I believe for all of us, we, we kind of have an inaccurate picture of laziness. We think about the sloth. We think it's the opposite of, of busyness or productivity. It's not. It's whenever we choose comfort over effort and fail to do the right thing. So God, I know that there's lots of areas in my life, for my brothers and sisters here, 
where you're calling us to do one thing and we're busy doing another. We're busy, we're productive, we're driven, but we're not doing that right thing. So God, I pray that you would convict us in those areas. I pray that we would have the bigger picture of what really matters, that we would see each day as a gift that you've given us and make the most of it, that we would be faithful managers of the time, treasure, and talents you've given us. And God, for for my brothers and sisters here, for myself, as we launch into whatever area we may choose to work on, I pray that we would not be surprised when it's tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. And if that throws us, we don't have a chance. I pray that each and every day we would have that eternal perspective. We would have the long-term goal in mind, not the short-term pleasures. God, that you would help us through your spirit to set a realistic plan. So often we try to bite off more than we can chew. We try to make something grandiose and it leads to failure time and time again. Help us just to take one small step. And then God, finally, I just pray that we would share this plan with somebody else, that we would find some trusted person in our lives that could hold us accountable. God, we need that. We need that accountability. We need somebody there to encourage us somebody there to spur us on. And Lord, we know that in all these things, for those who are called by the name of Jesus, who have put their faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit's power inside of us. And we know that you stand ready to help us, to give us wisdom, to set up this plan, to give us power to follow through and to provide for us maybe the accountability, some other trusted friend to come alongside of us. So God, my prayer is that we would not linger in laziness, that we would not continue to choose that comfort, but instead make the effort to do the right thing. It's in Jesus' name we pray.